0: In a child, it comes across as bossy. And and bossy is unrefined leadership. I hate when people say, oh, you know, don't let people call you bossy, you're really a leader. Well, no, you're not an effective leader if you're being bossy.
1: Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions, if so? Welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone who can hear the sound of my voice. I say that every week. I sing greetings to each and every one of you, and I am so grateful, gracious, and humbled by the fact that you tuned in to listen to this podcast called Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Every week, I bring guests on who are experts in their field, but also capable of helping you understand what are the small steps that you need to take to get from where you are now to where you want to be and close that gap. With that, I thought I'd take a bit of a different direction today in that we're gonna talk about something that is old, but has reinvented itself. And that's the idea of project management. And I want you to sit back and kind of think about this from a very different way than what you may have thought about it before. So in the old days or the pre-pandemic days, we thought of project management teams as kind of co-located and sitting there They generally were on, you know, hired into a company and they became part of the culture. But even before the pandemic, we began to see people were kind of opting out of being in corporate life, starting up very specialized expertise, and they really turned into an adjunct talent pool for them. And one of the things that most executives struggle with all the time. Is the integration of change and to take a project and bring it into the organization from start, middle, finish, and then walk away and know that as they look back, they have something that is now sustainable and those practices are there. Think about it. How many times has a quote unquote consultant come into your organization, done a whole lot of stuff? projects, put in new IT stuff, new software, new ways of doing something, done an assessment on how you should change your business. They do all this work. And then when they leave, that project is put on the shelf. It takes years before it comes back in. Well, that is one of the things that from a going forward in the new normal, whatever that means, executives need to think about what does talent really look like? How do you bring it into your organization? And what are the skills that you need to be looking for outside of the expertise that will make you successful in that realm? Well, today's guests, Jana Axline and myself, are going to have a conversation where we're going to talk about what it's like to be an outside consultant who comes in with project management. But more importantly, one of the things that she values in her business and the value that her customers get is that when she's finished with a project from the initial ideation all the way through implementation and she goes away, is that she's left something sustainable, something that they can take and they can continue to make it alive in their organization. So with that, let me tell you a little bit about Jenna. She is a focus leader who achieves ambitious results. She drives ideas from initiation to implementation, achieving successful outcomes for her clients. She's adept at moving between the big picture and the small details, and she's able to help clients execute the right initiatives to implementation, maximizing value in their organization. She has honed a very strong project management skill set, coupled with her years of experience, so she has the technical knowledge as well as the actual experience doing it to bring that forth inside organizations to achieve results more quickly and cost-effectively. Her experience extends from more than 20 years of experience in leadership and almost 10 years in project and portfolio management of a variety of high-profile projects, including managing the delivery of multiple IT applications to enable new product launches, for Fortune 100 international healthcare companies. She's also had experience aligning about a hundred million dollars in strategic partnerships to bring together systems that didn't really talk to each other so that they began to talk to each other and people could get the value that was invested in it. She serves on the board of Project Management Institute, Mile High's chapter, and she's the president of that organization. She speaks internationally on project management, employee engagement and leadership, and she's active in the PMP, ACP, Scrum Master, and Scaled Agilist, and has a Master's of Business Administration and Finance from the University of Colorado. Jeez, Dana! Oh my God, if that's not intimidating, what in the world it is? How are you today?
0: Good, thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, you're welcome, you're welcome. You know, I think one of the things I always like to start with is, you know, I know you, but the audience really doesn't know you. So they're used to me having this like huge network of people that I bring in. And we have these really down to earth kinds of conversations. Post a little something about yourself, but, you know, they can read your bio. What's something that people wouldn't guess about you or know about you unless they were on their inner circle?
0: Oh, well, I was a extra on an upcoming Elvis movie that starring Tom Hanks and Austin Butler. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) and
1: how did you secure that role?
0: Well, as you know, I travel between the U.S. and Australia, and where I work out of in Australia is kind of like the Hollywood of Australia. So, you know, we just happened to have an agent out here, and I had just come back from from Denver, and they said, hey, do you want to be in a movie? So I was like, sure, <laughs> sounds good. Um, and so since then i've actually been in young rock as well the christmas episode that just came out you can see me there
1: (laughs) oh my god we have a celebrity superstar here i love it i love it you know it's interesting because all of us are these complicated multifaceted individuals Mm -hmm. and so can i ask the question of does this little creative endeavor of being an actress I mean, films balance out the detail orientation when you're in project
0: management? Hmm. You know, that's a good question. I was working in movies before I did project management. And then I discovered project management during my MBA. And I was like, oh, my goodness, there's this whole career field just for me. And then I realized that part of the reason I liked working on the movies is because those are projects as well. Yes. It has a start and an end, a fixed vision that you're after. So, you know, I I think it all still has an underlying theme, but obviously the actual acting side of it. The other piece of that I really enjoy is understanding humans, right? And that's what acting is really about is can you portray what this human that you're representing would portray? And and so I think that just fits naturally into my interests as well, because I'm really passionate about why people do what they do and, and understanding how people work. That's
1: wonderful. And that is the essence of leadership, isn't it? Mm. Is understanding and being able to motivate others, right? Mm. You know, we hear and read that culture, you know, that kind of workplace behaviors are more powerful than strategy. And oftentimes this idea of enterprise projects or corporate projects, they birth out of the vision and strategy of a particular company or executive's mindset, I guess it is, or vision of what should be going forward. But yet we also know that they don't really work out like we think they should work out. (laughs) There's been lots of research studies that say, you know, we don't do very well at implementing
0: strategy. Why do you think that is? Well, I'm sure you could write entire books on that. You know, I think it's a few things. There is a, an element, like you said, of culture and what culture have you created. And as Jim Collins talks about, those companies with cult like culture tend to be more successful at implementing visions. And that's just because everybody's flying in the same direction. So you mm-hmm. have companies like Disney and you know, where, where they're all truly feels part of a community. Although lately you've been hearing things that that might not be the case, but in its prime, you know, it definitely was. I think the other thing that companies really don't consider is what it takes to implement something. You know, they miss out on, really taking the every you know obviously you want to move quickly when you're trying to implement a vision or implement a project because it's going to change your organization at least in theory positively and so right. you want to get it done and and in that hurry to get it done i often find that initiatives are underfunded and then that underfunding usually comes in the form of not putting the right amount of money into project management or the right amount of money into change management and without those two elements then your project schedule is going to be running haphazardly and then you're not going to get the outcomes that you expect. So I think that's another significant reason why companies fail to realize the benefits they're after in implementing visions.
1: You know, it's interesting the way you put that because you said there's project management and change management. And I think inside the art and expertise of project management, they do think about project management and change management differently but I'm not sure that's true outside of the expertise. Can you tell us a couple pointers of what's the difference between one and the other? And I mean, really, if you put the project in, don't people have to change?
0: Well, I mean, that's exactly why projects fail, right? So let me give you an example, maybe that where, you know, you might have a project that has zero focus on change. And so you say, okay, we're going to implement this new CRM, right? Like Salesforce, we're going to implement Salesforce, but rather than spending the time to understand what the users, how the users actually use, you know, the current tool and what their pain points are, you might just go and implement the solution and then nobody wants to use it. And so what mm-hmm. happens is they go around the system. They find mm-hmm. back four ways of doing their old way of doing things because the change is hard. And if you aren't doing a change that's actually making somebody's life easier, they're going to avoid adopting that change. So the difference between project management and change management is project management is really focused on here's the goal. And kind of like what you said in your intro, here's the goal and here's the steps of how what we need to do to reach that goal. Where change management is focused on, well, how do I bring the organization along so they actually want to adopt the output of the project? So they're really, the focus of a change manager is a lot more on the people what's in it for me, getting the buy-in and that type of thing. And I can tell you that while there are people who are good at change management and project management, you know, I have a few people on my team who can do both. It's not always contained in one person and, and I'm a perfect example. I am much better at project management than change management and that's because when I look at it I'm like, "Well, why doesn't everybody just want to do this? Like, we said this is already <laughs> do. right? doing it." But because I'm aware of that of myself, I make sure I surround my, myself with people who are better at understanding and bringing people along.
1: So, that's an interesting question because people, a company will hire you, hire your company to come in and implement these large scale changes. So, mm. how do you, I mean, what do you do to kind of scope out? Because I've found that no two companies are really alike because their cultures are not alike. They may sell the same products, they may be going after the same customers, but their culture is very different, which means the customer experience and the employee experience are very different. How do you go in and quickly assess? what that needs to be, and do you change the way you think about things? Or, or maybe I should say, what do you change to kind of make it fit company A that maybe wouldn't work in company B?
0: Yeah. So for both project management and change management, there's frameworks that work regardless of companies in the standard, I guess you could call them steps, you know, like for a change management, you have an awareness phase where you make everybody aware of it. And then, you know, you have a design phase where you're designing it, et cetera. And so, those, you know, the phases of both work, but to your point, every company is different. And so we do have to adapt our styles. And, and really where I see that is around if the company is more, rigid or more flexible would be one example. Like okay. are they just kind of chill and we just go along and, and we're mm-hmm. we're doing whatever? Or are they very like, no, I need 10 pages of documentation for every step of the project and a lot of a lot of rigidity. And how comfortable are they with ambiguity, it, you know, goes to that as well. The other thing that becomes a challenge, it's less about culture and more about capability, but you come into a project that maybe they you know, we're doing project management and change management, but the actual doers, the functional people, whether it's in finance or IT or whatever, may not have the competency to actually execute the project, right? And that that's actually the thing that's most challenging. Adapting to the culture is really, you know, for us in our company, we look at trying to put the right fit person. So if it's a really rigid company, I'm not going to put some sort of agile purist because the agile purist is not going to feel comfortable with all the documentation the company is going to require. So, you know, I try to fit people to, to the company, And it's usually pretty easy to tell just by, usually we talk with the CIO, so how the CIO is talking, what he or she's talking about, what challenges they're facing, then what materials they give you when it comes to their project. And you get a pretty good idea of what the culture is going to be like. So, you know, I find that that is not as challenging as when you have a company that wants to do something that they aren't staffed to do it, because Mm. it doesn't matter how you change your methodology. If the people, either there's not enough people or they're not competent people, you're not going to get the project. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Have you ever turned down a company? That's a good question. I've told companies to quit projects that weren't successful, Um, but no, I can't think of an example where we've gotten through it and gotten to know them and been like, no, this isn't a good fit.
1: Not yet. Okay, good. Well, at least... Being able to tell them, you know, this project isn't going to make it is equivalent to your baby's ugly. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you know, I and mean, usually it's you tie it back to look. You're not going to realize the benefits that you want, and when you put it like that, then you know they don't want to spend the money if they're not going to get the benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to ask this because you're out here
1: as a woman trying to be a business owner, etc. What made you decide to leave corporate America or traditional job to go for this thing where, you know, you're the boss, you're it, and you're making these sales pitches?
0: Yeah, well, it it was kind of a few pieces that happened along probably a whole decade. But you know, when I was in college, I had to take the Myers Briggs, and I'm ENTJ. If anybody's familiar with it, and it said, "Well, what's the perfect job for you?" And one of them was CEO. I'm like, "Well, I want to be the CEO," Uh, (laughs) and you can't like get out of college and go straight to be the CEO. I don't know why, because that's what they teach you how to be. But no, you can't go do that. So I had a long series of different jobs that I didn't like. And then I was mentioned I was getting my MBA and that's where I found project management. And I was like, oh my goodness, this career is just for me. I was fortunate enough that Cigna Health took a risk on me and hired me as a project manager with zero direct experience, both in project management and in IT. I was an IT project manager. <laughs> um, but when I got there, I was like, I love it. I love, I love this. And I got promoted really quickly in the organization and it was a fantastic place to work. In fact, I wrote a blog called the five reasons to quit a job you love because I did love it. But what had happened is I was sitting there and I had just delivered like a $15 million project. And I'm like, I've done this twice. What's next? Like Cygna's not going to promote me to the next level anytime soon because there's other people who are just as good as I am and have been there longer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they deserve to be promoted first. So I was like, well, so I'm not going to get that. I was thinking it'd be five years before I get promoted again. I don't know if that would have been true or not, but that was in my head. And then the, the CEO of Cigna came and did a town hall. And I was like, man, this guy's a great CEO. And what makes him a great CEO? And I was like, well, he's passionate about healthcare. And so I realized I would never be the CEO of Signa. <laughs> so I started <laughs> reflecting like, well, what am I passionate about? Well, of course it's project management. So combined with wanting to be a CEO and realizing that I was passionate about project management, and then seeing that there were all these consulting companies that were focused on more technical resources. I always felt like project management was an afterthought. Like okay. you get a great developer, a great tester, but then the project manager was just not that great. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm going to go start a company that's focused on project management. Okay, all right. When you butt heads
1: inside a company, you mentioned a couple reasons why people do that, and clearly your experience has been even in a great company, there were some people who were. I don't know if we need this kind of coming along. What has your experience taught you about being able to shift change or at least help inspire them to look at the change or maybe
0: take on the risk of it? Oh, I'm just relentless. I'm just, I can be annoying. If I see something (laughs) like the thing that we should do, I don't really give it up. I mean, I keep trying to plug it along the way if I'm trying to get somebody or some, you know, an organization to do something different. But, you know, I mean, obviously there's times where I have to change as well and realize, well, this isn't going to happen. So how do we make the best of the situation and get the best outcome with the constraints that we have? So I think there's a little bit of as a consultant and as a project manager, it's really important to have a high EQ and understand yourself and understand how you appear to other people and then understand other people. And while I mentioned that I'm not great at the change management, I don't know if you remember any EQ. There's one thing about emotional emotional intelligence for those who may not be familiar. Exactly. So there's, how do I understand myself? How do I manage myself? That's two components. And then the other two components is, do I understand other people? And then how do I interrelate to other people? Mm -hmm. So my weakest point is that more like, how do you interrelate with other people? But I I can understand them and I can understand myself. And so putting those pieces together really helps me in my job. And then knowing where my weakness is, I've just had to put in coping mechanisms to help me to manage that what's a coping mechanism for you? Well, one example was, so I was working at Target actually, and I walked by a team member. I'm like, Hey, can you go take care of this? And he's like, he was so brave. He stopped me and he said, do you realize that, you know, you just come by and you tell me what to do and you don't ask me what's already on my plate or even, you know, say hi or, or, you know, things like that. Like, I'm just, let's get things done type of person. And so that moment was really key to me and realized that, one of the things I needed to do, I used to put it on a checklist is go say hi to five people with no agenda. Mm-hmm. Say hi to them. But I had to put it on a checklist because right. that, that's who I am. So things like that or over time of just being in a lot of these conversations, learning how to rephrase things so that it's not as harsh as it probably is in my head because I'm kind of just a efficient, like, let's get it done. So I'll tell you how it is. But you know, I've started over time, just through being all these experiences, is learning how to rephrase things in a way that's gonna be more palatable.
1: One of the things in listening to you, I picked up is, is that you've learned how you learn, mm. and how you grow out of this, where did that come from? I mean, was that just part of your natural personality of, I, here's the beginning, here's the middle, here's the end, <laughs> and I charted this out? Or was there well, something that helped you kind of codify that?
0: The self-discovery was kind of more of a journey. I think that there were a few pivotal points, though. One was my master's degree. I had a great professor where we had to read like Jim Collins and read a lot of these leadership books, right, that, that talk about these things, right? So there you get it in theory. I started working or getting married is a a (laughs) point where then you start to really realize things about yourself. And I thought I had realized a lot until I got divorced and remarried. And like in that period, I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how much, you know, I contributed to all these problems. The other two points though, that made a difference was Target was very focused on personal development and probably to a point where it was, maybe even a little unhealthy because there is this always this focus on what am I not doing correctly, right? Rather than really looking at what are my strengths and how do I augment it, it was more focused on what are my weaknesses and how do you minimize it, which is important. Yeah. But it gets disheartening when there's so much focus on that. Yeah. And then the other point was having a child because then you see yourself reflected back to you and you're like, oh, is that what I sound like? <laughs> Funny how they do that for us, right? (laughs) Mm, Yes. (laughs) How many kids do you have? Just one, but she is definitely a mini me. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Got it. Got it. Got it.
0: So do you find
1: yourself helping other people realize the impact of their personality and who they are as you're trying to build these, you know, coming in, everybody is kind of, oh, yeah, nice. And. We're all going to get along. And then there's always that space where the tension and the conflict and change causes people to kind of go into resistance, right? Mm. And a lot of the resistance is because we don't know how we're showing up, you know, because it's we live in a society that's very polite and we're not allowed to really express conflict for lots of reasons, mainly because we're just not good at managing dissent, right? Mm. Um, so How do you now, because you have to be somewhat flexible, your team has to be somewhat flexible about that in this process of getting people to buy into the idea and adopt the idea? How do you work with people? How do you present it? What are some of the tips that, you know, you found inspire people to want to make the change?
0: Hmm. I'm going to answer that, I guess, in two ways. One, just because around me, like you're talking about, do I help other people with that? And and I find the way that I help with clients is more being a mediator. So when there is conflict, I don't tend to go and give them feedback about their personality or what they should be changing, because I don't know that it's appropriate. But I mediate between with the personality conflicts, And so I try to help diffuse situations and stay focused on the outcome so that then they're not attacking each other. They're focused on the problem, not the people. Mm Okay. But that aside to your other part of your question is what are some tips and techniques that you use to help people adapt to change? I mean, the biggest one is really listening and communication. It's really taking the time to have that one-on-one dialogue with people about how are you feeling about this? What are the things that concern you? And then actually trying to incorporate that into your change planning so that people do feel listened, but you'll find that A lot of resistance is driven by fear. And so it's about getting down to what's that fear. Is it fear that they're going to lose their job because there's automation? Is it fear that that things are going to be so different that they're not going to be effective? You know, it could be a lot of things. So it's really just building those relationships so that there's trust. And then they'll communicate to you what's going on in their head.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then trying to adapt to that. It's funny because all of the things that you say are also all the things that we learned are good leadership skills, right? So, you know, setting a vision, knowing that there's going to be resistance there, but listening to people. But I think it's, I always break listening down into two things. It's listening and then it's actually hearing. I can listen to you, but hearing means that I take what you said and try to work it in or to address those concerns. And take the time to feed that back to you, to let you know that I heard you, here's how we thought about it, and either we're incorporating it or we're not, but here's the rationale for what we're doing. And I think too often we get really fast-paced in an organization and, oh, yeah, 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 I got you, Jana, no problem, and we're going to go, and we never get circled back around to say, I heard you, this is how we decided, even if it's not to accept the idea just give some feedback going in that. So those were the two big high level things. And then the third thing I think I heard you say, so correct me if I'm getting this wrong, you're the expert on, you know, (laughs) you're, you're the expert on this project management stuff. It's really going in with the assumption that the person is going to get on board, giving them the most generous idea that everybody will get with the project. You just have to help them see what's in it for them.
0: Yeah, and that takes a lot of time, right? Because you have to customize what's in it for them for each individual. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where you get somebody, you know, like me who's like, let's do step one, step two, step three and and get it done. It can be really exhausting for my type of personality in how we think to be like, okay, now I've got to go talk to this person and really understand, you know, how this impacts them and, and what we're gonna do. And and so again, with me, it's good to know it so that I can adapt to that. But even better, if I can find, bring somebody along who's natural at that, right? Because then they're feeding me what, hey, did you know this group is uncomfortable because it's an extra 10 clicks now to get this simple task done? Oh, well, let's go talk to the design group about, is there a way to do that? But then they're the conduit to me to bring that information. But yeah, that's not always possible. <laughs> and if it's not, like if, a, if one of your listeners in that situation, you've got to realize that this is important and figure out how to, even if you're not comfortable with it, how do you bring that in to what you're doing? Yeah. And I think,
1: you know, that goes to those quotes, which I often don't like, but you do have to surround yourself with people who fill in those areas where that's not your, either you don't like doing it or it's not your competency to do it. And so that self-awareness, and as you said, that being able to understand how to navigate others and their perception is really an important skill for a leader, any kind of leader. In previous podcasts and probably future podcasts, I'll always say one of the most difficult jobs are the project management jobs. And the reason is, is that you have all the responsibility, but you generally don't have any authority over anybody else to do anything else. <laughs> it, they, you have to really get them to voluntarily change their behavior and to sustain that.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And that's where, you know, going back to when I was looking at what am I going to do next, when I was looking at the gap in the market, and it's that you can have people who are really good at the project management tasks, they know how to write a schedule, they know how to, you know, do a risk log and an issue log and how to do change requests, and they can do all of that. But those people are never going to be successful on complicated projects because complicated projects require leaders. They require that emotional intelligence, understanding. When do you escalate? How do you communicate to CEOs and also to team members? How do you realize when something really is a concern versus like, yeah, I, I get it, we'll we'll log that, but that's not gonna consume my focus and understanding how to look at the details and how to look at the big picture, because if you're always down in the weeds, you're going to miss the you know upcoming roadblocks. So that's the piece that is missing. And, you know, I think I would say probably half the project managers is that you've got to find somebody who not only understands project management as a discipline, but also understands leadership and has practiced it. Mm-hmm. So they,
1: you know, leading is by nature dangerous. You know, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. (laughs) (laughs) That's for Uh, sure. (laughs) So when did you learn it? When did you realize that you were a leader and how did that change how you think about your life and where you're headed?
0: Well, I've always been, I guess, can leadership be learned or is it natural? Both. And so there was an element of natural leadership for me. I see it in my daughter as well. Just coordinating people, getting an idea, trying to get everybody to go along with it. I used to write plays. I mean, I would adapt movies into plays like The Little Mermaid or something like that. <laughs> and then I try to get all the neighborhood kids to to do this play with me. So, you know, in a child, it comes across as bossy and and right. bossy is unrefined leadership. I hate when people say, "Oh, you know, don't let people call you bossy, you're really a leader." Well, no, you're not an effective leader if you're being bossy. <laughs> like it mm-hmm. means your style is coming across wrong. And so that's the part where I had to refine. And I think that again the pivotal moment for me in in starting to understand that was both Target and that class in my MBA where I was learning about Jim Collins and the level five leaders and, you know, and those type of concepts and reading soar with your strengths and understanding those, you know, all those books Mm. that I had to read made me understand that I had some raw capability here that just had to be refined uh, and still needs to be refined. Um, Right. Right. Cause
1: it's it's all about growth. Right.
0: Right. Right. And then I guess there's a little element of faith and religion in that as well, where as I've gotten older, I've seen how as a Christian, the things in the Bible are a lot about leadership and treating people well, and all of that comes together. And it's harmonious, right? These concepts of if you treat people well, they're going to want to follow you more than if you don't treat them well. Right, right,
1: right, right, right. And what that means and how you define that. Looking out over the horizon and um, work is changing. You know, We're sitting in the middle of the great resignation At least that's what the media has termed it. I think it's just people are trying to, we've been saying for a very long time that we should be looking for work-life integration. And I Mm. think people are rebalancing and rethinking about how to incorporate and live out their values is really what it's going to. And one of the things that having been a, not just a leadership coach, but a career coach during the times when the U.S. was going through this big financial meltdown in the 2007, 2008, one of the things I think I heard a lot about was when employers were looking for people, they just wanted plug and play. And I called it the plug and play society. Just come, plug in and keep on going. But, you know, the reality is, is right now and probably in the near future, there are a lot of companies that use labor people as a way to rebalance their financials. And through no fault of a person's that you did anything wrong, somebody mixed it, and you wind up losing your job out of it. And you've got to figure out how to come back into it. One of the avenues is clearly a lot of people are doing what you've done and said, you know what, I really wanted to be a CEO, I'm going to start my own company. Would you ever go back inside? Absolutely not.
0: Well, I guess I kind of did a little bit in Australia. I kept my company, but uh, you know, a, an Australian company actually employed me. But it was still felt very much like being a consultant, and it was short term. But but no, and there's a few reasons. It's the same reasons that drove me to leaving in the first place. One, I don't like this concept of working forty hours. What if I get my job done sooner? Or, you know, like I want to get paid for the time that I work. And so I really like that. I hate the repetition of doing the same things over and over. So while I'm doing project management, it's a project management in a different company each time. And so there's, you know, the culture is different. So even if you're doing the same solution, I'm implementing Oracle over and over and over. Well, the data is different. The people are different. The vision's different, you know, and so you have to adapt it. So I like that change. I probably went through 10 careers in 10 years or maybe eight years before I found project management. And one of the the reason was, is because I like to learn. And then once I feel like I'm competent enough, I get bored. Mm Um, and so being a consultant really helps with that. And then the final thing is, you know, I look at success as freedom and flexibility. And as a consultant, I, you know, and, and my team can do this too. Yeah, we have to work. We still work usually basic hours, but if I want to take a half a day off, I just don't schedule meetings then, and I can take half a day off. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I get the freedom to do that. And, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, I was working out on a boat, I mean, nobody's like, Hey, you have to be in the office because as a consultant, there's a level of instant kind of, I think a level of instant credibility just because of what you've done. And so people don't micromanage Mm -hmm. us. So I would never go back, but that said, I mean, I want to build a company that is the Accenture of project management. So there will be a level of It's a company with structure, but I would also like to be, you know, I really like these ideas of changing the way kind of what we're seeing through the pandemic. But I, you know, I was having some of these ideas before about changing the way we treat people as employees. Like, you know, one of the crappy things about working for the top four, as far as I hear from everybody is the amount of travel you have to do. And if you want to travel, go for it. But to put this requirement on people to, you know, be road warriors, Mm -hmm. I don't think that should be the operating model. So how do you find talent in the areas? And maybe that's becoming less of an issue now that more companies are willing remote but there's still some times where you have to be in person. So find talent in the area or this idea again, and consulting, you know, they get paid salaries, but they might work 70 hours a week.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So we at Project Genetics, there's, they get paid. They do have a base salary, but it's a really low salary. It's kind of like a, here's what you get paid in case there's no work for a couple of weeks so that you can still eat. But then right. we paid hourly rate for every hour work. So if they work 70 hours, they get paid for 70 hours. Not that I want them to, but because it's I their choice. It. Yeah, exactly. And so there's never this like resentment that develops of, oh, I put all this these hours in and I'm not getting compensated for it. Mm-hmm. So just things like that, like changing the way that employees are treated and really would love to be one of the top 100 places to work for. Got it. Got it. Well, I
1: can't believe, as I always say, we're at the end of it. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in just learning more about you or bringing your company in as a extra set of hands, talent to plug into their own talent management system?
0: Yeah. Thanks, Denise. Yeah. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Jana Axline, where I share my thoughts and blog posts and my own podcast, but also we're at projectgenetics.com. If people want to see kind of the work we've done and interested in connecting with us to learn more. You got it.
1: Well, guys, you heard it here. It was a little bit of a different one, but I think because we're in the middle of this great resignation and we're all trying to, whether you're CEO or a person who is just trying to think through their careers, it is good to hear from people who have taken a different road. And clearly, one of the things I love about Jana is her vision for reinventing what work really looks like, and she's making it happen. So it's not this is not some theoretical, it could be possibility, or it's for the few. She's making it happen and leading the way, because we teach each other how to be with each other through the way we act with each other how to do things and how to move forward and how we can reinvent work and workplaces to be the inclusive, high-performance organizations that we say we want. And all it takes is us just rolling up our sleeves, reimagining what that looks like and stepping forward. So I want to thank her. I want to thank you as always. And you know what I always say, if you liked it, share it. If you don't like it, share it. Why? Because I guarantee it will start a conversation that you will learn something and it will help you close the gap. And with that, see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend Ivan G. Hall for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community to subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.